There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting great 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the place. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. I'm joined this week by Jacob Padilla of Hale Varsity. Jacob, hello, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well, Derek. You, uh, it's, ba- it's it, basketball season has started, so I'm sure you're doing better than before basketball season started. At the same time, this has been a very wacky, weird, stressful start to the basketball season. Um, not for you as a Creighton alum. I mean, they're they're good. You're fine there. But the rest of us have to deal with weird results. And uh, th- there have been some some weird results. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, Nebraska basketball. They started 2-0. They did not win a third game. Uh, that was Thursday night. We're recording this Friday morning because I wanted to see what the result of the St. John's game would be before we recorded this. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about Nebraska basketball. But first, Jacob, I want to ask you, um, there there have been some, some interesting uh, developments to start this basketball season. Michigan State almost took down Gonzaga and then followed it up by beating Kentucky. And it's not a weird result. It's the Michigan State team, Tom Izzo, but they were unranked. Um, so it's going to, you know, it's going to catch headlines. Um, Colorado went to Tennessee and beat Tennessee and Colorado also has losses to Grambling and UMass. Um, there've been some, some strange college basketball results so far. Has this been the most entertaining start to a season that we've had in a while, or is this just standard? Uh, I mean, there definitely have been some I think more than usual, like what the heck happened there? Like it's mm-hmm. crazy. Like the, the conference that you, uh, you cover out there, PAC 12, the, the PAC 12 slack legacy series or whatever it is. Uh, that went very poorly for the, the, the PAC 12. It did. Uh, they lost all the road games. It did. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> uh, pro- which probably means uh, we're never going to see one of these again, where high major is willingly going to multiple low mid uh, low to mid major teams as part of a challenge anymore uh so it's it's funny the uh, the little uh the the lesser conference finally gets a chance to to host somebody and absolutely takes advantage of it and mm-hmm. so it'll be a it's not a one time off cuz they got a multi year deal but i don't think we're going to see other leagues following suit unfortunately which that's how it works uh, i wish it didn't uh but everybody's worried about themselves 
Uh, no, hey, but everybody else kind of uses the Pac-12 as sort of the guinea pig to make sure that they make the mistakes over there yeah. so that the rest of the conferences know what not to do. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is uh, all the kind of the NIL fear mongers talked about how this was the death of the mid-major and these other these lower level programs aren't going to be able to compete because the, the, the big schools are just going to be able to throw all the money around and um so far that has could not be further from the truth which uh not surprising to me um there's only so many roster spots you can have and guys uh are kind of fall through the cracks everywhere like there's a reason it worked the way it did before and it'll be the same even with nil um some guys that that could play at high majors will fall through the cracks and um, some of those guys will stick it out at the mid majors because they've got a good relationship with the coaches they like their situation some guys will leap to the to the the big conferences and but even some of those guys that do don't necessarily like turn into superstars uh, at the they just end up being role players and kind of more the same so um ultimately I, i'm not i think it, it just it's college basketball like even even the best teams uh, and not all these teams have lost are the best teams but even high majors um can struggle against against lower to mid majors when those on any given night. Let's um. Which do you want to start with first? Because you were at the Nebraska Creighton women's basketball game, um, and you got to spend a little bit of time around the Creighton program before that game, and then obviously you're gonna you cover men's basketball, so you're you're intimately aware of what's going on with them. Um, so you had to suffer through the second half of the St. John's game. Which do you want to start with first? Like we, it was, it was one of those things where I was like, let's start, let's talk basketball. So I don't have to talk about football, and uh, and then basketball was like, no reprieve. Um, yeah. So which like, one do you want to start with first? Yeah, looking like playing it out this week on Sunday. This had a chance to be a really good week for the men and women down at Nebraska, and uh, it went very poorly. Uh, so. Fortunately, there's not really positives to talk about with either one, but I guess we'll start with the men uh, okay. because they're more recent and then circle back to the women because at least um, it was a bad night more than uh, maybe an indication of where we're headed, which maybe wasn't the case for the men. Okay. Yeah, so just, uh, just let me set the table for you. So they beat Maine 79-66 to 66 to open the season. Nebraska men's basketball does. They, bre- they beat Nebraska-Omaha 75-61. Both of those teams are outside the Ken Palm top 300. So they get a 2-0 start. It's great. But you're expected to win those games. Then they play St. John's. Ken Palm 37. Um, and they get blown off the court in the second half. And they can't shoot the ball. And what we were kind of talking about before we jumped on this pod was the things that you were a- afraid to see you saw. The things that you hoped that we could see, you didn't. Yeah. So, I, I guess you know, what were those things? Like, what was concerning about it? Was it was obviously a concerning second half, but what specifically was concerning about the second half as it relates to moving forward throughout the rest of the season? Okay, so the the biggest question I had about this team heading in is how would they generate offense? Who would be that guy that could go create an advantage? Because I just didn't see a lot of ball handling on this on this team, and got even more worried when Hoiberg started talking about Emmanuel Banmel being the secondary ball handler based on what I had seen of him on his SMU tape. And sure enough, here we get into this game. 
nobody can like Sam Greasel made some good plays early on getting in the lane and setting guys up, but um, St. John's kind of adjusted and made life difficult and Nebraska didn't really have a counter. They had nobody else that could go consistently create a, uh, create an advantage, draw help, get somebody wide open and um, create, create an easy bucket. And that's where everything they took was contested um, or uh, a jump shot. And they did not hit, they were five of 27 from three. And the, I mean, you look at a guy like Juwan Gary, he got off to a great start um, in that exhibition, scored 21 or whatever in the first game. You're like, oh, hey, uh, maybe he's gotten better offensively. Hit a couple of threes early on. Um, and we're thinking, and Hoiberg talked about the improvement he made there. And, um, but then here we are, eight points on four, four, uh, four 14 shooting, 0 of 5 from three. It, he again continues to rebound the ball well. He'll he'll scrap on defense, but um, he's just not a particularly skilled player. Although he is aggressive, um, Bandeville, like I said, uh, he's. I mean, dude shot sub forty percent from the field at SMU. Scored ten a game, but I, I I kind of viewed him more as a Trey McGowan's type, where good defensively he'll give you some things, but is not a guy that you can rely on to be consistently good and efficient on offense and. Big problem is he was 0 for 3 from 3. And that's a guy shot 35% last year. It's a guy you got to be able to rely on to knock down some threes uh, if this team is going to have any success. Um, so those are some of the things I worried about. And as the game went on, like I said, Griso created some opportunities early. Um, he's a guy that scored 20, 20 a game in the first two games, or totaled 40 points. And um, he kind of let the game come to him as, as it went on in each of those and got going and kind of stepped up when Nebraska hit some rough patches. And he's a guy that got downhill and got to the rim and finished or drew a foul or whatever. Problem is, like, he's the only ball handler uh, on this team. And if he has to handle the ball, you can't really put him in a position where he can take advantage of what he does well on offense. And with guys couldn't really get open off the ball in – advantageous situations and threatening spots. Um, he ended up having to force some bad passes, made a couple of bad decisions, but um, some of his turnovers were simply nobody was doing anything. He had nowhere to go with the ball or uh, guys were sneaking up behind him and nobody was communicating or uh, they were just double teaming him because they're not worried about leaving anybody else. And so they just had no kind of answers. Like, how are we going to score points? And the guys you needed to take a leap this year, C.J. Wiltshire, six points on two of eight shooting. He was only one of six from three and did have ones in all the other categories. Doesn't really do anything besides score. And outside of one game, he has not shot the ball well. And uh, Wilhelm Breinbach coming off the injury. You were hoping he was a top 150 type of recruit. Uh, he's a guy that they prioritized early on in, in the recruiting process and stuck with him. Uh Played 21 minutes, was one of eight from the field, missed all three of his threes, which were all wide open, only had three rebounds. Um, so it's just a lot of things coming together to result in a 50-point outing. Well, so they're they're 28% from three on the season. Um, is this just a case of, like, you know, they're slow starting – they're cold right now. 
maybe some of these shots start to fall later, or is this a situation? Like, is it fair to say that like Nebraska is is really reliant on a couple or a handful of three point shooters making their shots, and if those are those guys aren't going to make their shots, then they're just not going to shoot well. Absolutely, uh, the three guys that you need to rely on, um, and I wrote about this in my padding the stats column, or my notebook rather early in the week. Uh, Casey Tominaga, CJ Watcher, and Amanda Banabal. Those are the three guys that you can kind of look to as guys that are shooters that have proven throughout their career that they can shoot on a, a decent uh, volume of shots. Um, you need those three guys to, to be hitting at least two of the three to be hitting every single game to hit multiple threes. Um, because a guy like Sam Griso, he can make a three, but it's going to be like one every other game or something like that. He's not a guy that takes a lot of them. Um, Juwan Gary is a guy that, I mean, could not shoot at all. Fred Hoiberg, liked, like I said, liked his development, thought he had a chance to improve some things. Uh, but he's been the same guy that he has been throughout his career. Uh, their bigs don't shoot at all. Wilhelm Breinbach uh, was supposed to be a shooter, and it's just not going in for him. Um, so they just don't have a lot of shooting in, in the lineup. So they're reliant on those guys to provide much of their four spacing, much of their threes. Casey Tomonaga has, has done his job. He's had two good games out of the start so far. Um, he was the one guy that was making shots in that game, scored 15 points on five of eight shooting, hit three threes, although one of them was a bank. <laughs> but he's shooting 43% so far, uh, making two a game. Like, you get that out of Casey, like, you can't really ask anything more than what he's given them so far. But C.J. Wiltshire, I mean, he is at 33%. And a lot of that came in one game. Uh, we're still in the small sample size theater portion uh, of the season. So um, you, you need a lot more than that. You can't, he, he can't be a guy that disappears, especially because he doesn't, like I said, he doesn't impact the game uh, in any other way besides shooting the ball. And he's a liability on defense for the most part. So you got to have that guy hitting shots and he has not. And Amanda Bandamel is at 20% through three games. Um, so they, it's a limited shooting roster, and the guys that you relied on to provide that shooting, for the most part, outside of Tominaga, aren't haven't delivered so far. What do you do with uh, Wilhelm? Do you like? Do you have to just ride it out and see what happens? Just continue to feed him minutes and hope that eventually, you know, it starts to click and he turns things around, or, or do you? I mean, because he, like you said, he's one of their guys that you know they put a lot of eggs in that basket, and he's sort of a kind of a linchpin piece for them like what do you what do you do with that with that spot moving forward well hopefully at some point Derek Walker will be back um he's apparently dealing with a back issue on top of whatever is keeping him out right now so that's not encouraging about when he does get cleared to play you're like oh is this something that'll impact him down the road um but um that'll help you'll start him at the five and that's that's the other thing like his absence, you really saw it in this game because you didn't, like I said, Sam Griesel didn't have any other playmaking help, didn't have a threat that you could get the ball to in the middle of the floor and have somebody cut off of them and um, have him go to work in the post one-on-one because Blaze Keita is not ready for this level of competition right now. And like we were talking about with Wilhelm, has not, has not played well. Um, so once... Uh, once Derek gets back, then I think yeah, Fred's going to have to make some decisions and maybe play the matchups, play the hot hand between Wilhelm and um, 
and please keep it as the backup five. Cause at this point, unless you're playing a team that does play two traditional bigs, uh, I don't think you want to play Wilhelm at the four, which is what the plan was coming into the season. He opened the year at the starter for their two exhibitions. Um, and it just, it, it did not work. Um, so, but, and even at the five last night, we saw him exposed at times by Joel Soriano, who's six eleven and two sixty. Uh, so yeah, they're going to have to stick with him to a certain degree. Like, again, this is a guy coming off a knee injury that ended his season after just 10 games. So he's still, he's like less than 15 games into his division one career at right. this point. So it's too early to completely write him off, but it has not looked good early on. And um, they really don't have any other options. Like Oleg Koyanets isn't a guy that like he, he showed a, had a couple of nice plays early in the exhibition season, but he's not a guy that you're going to throw out there for 20 minutes as a backup five at this point. So uh, Brian Bach, I think you're going to have to ride with it to a certain degree. Um, but as, as Walker gets back, uh, he very well could see his minutes start to reduce uh, if, if he doesn't improve. Well, yeah, I mean, he's so green that you like, you're like, is this too hasty to make any kind of like big decisions? But at the same time, it's a little wild to think that you're three games into your season and the the starting four that you thought that you were going to have, you're like, yeah, this doesn't work. Yeah. Well, maybe he was just uh, distracted by the uh, Taylor Swift ticket situation uh, this past week and wasn't able to properly prepare. He was just in complete disarray over the yeah. Taylor Swift situation. Yeah, and I'm My, sure he was probably waiting to get tickets on Friday, and uh, saw that that it got canceled, and it just completely ruined his his mood. So my wife went through the presale situation, so she was she was in the office, in the the queue to get tickets, basically the entire work day, and it became such a ordeal that like her entire um, floor, like all of her coworkers, were so invested in her getting these tickets that when she was finally able to get through and finally able to like secure them, there were, there were like literal cheers. People were happy and like <laughs> excited for her. It was such a big thing. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if gonna... any of the people, yeah. I'm not sure if any of the people that I knew that were jumped on even got tickets, like talking, there were a bunch of people like throughout the last couple of days that I knew were involved. I don't know if any of them got through the queue. <laughs> My brother texted me, um, Thursday night was it was Thursday night and he was like so I had the idea to try to get Taylor Swift tickets for my friend and he's like I had no idea that that would be that <laughs> yeah and I was like that is the most stereotypical like man story as it relates to a oh, like a, a, we'll be able to a get female tickets. friend that I think I've ever heard of He's like, like he wants to do something nice and has absolutely no idea how complicated a situation he is walking into to try to pull that thing off. And then it's just like, nope. <laughs> I tried. Done. I put it, I put in 10% of the effort. We're done. It was, it was perfect. It was a perfect story. Um, another thing he texted me was that he's surprised uh, that Nebraska hasn't been able to win given how, well, he said relatively successful they have been recruiting. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think you look at the totality of all four of these rosters, and I think the recruiting well portion of it, it probably isn't accurate. 
and they they've they've landed some stars in a mix here, but they haven't been able to form a full rotation of quality high major starters at, at any point. And you look at right now, like recently, the recruiting wins. Obviously, Bryce went one and done, but um, like Wilhelm Breidenbach was the second best recruit in that class, top one hundred and fifty. He's not giving you anything at this point. Ramel Lloyd Jr. was the top recruit in this last class, and he's redshirting right now because he couldn't crack the rotation to, to open the season. Um, and the other guys in the class are kind of just like average three-star recruits. Um, and Blaze Keita was considered the best Juco center in the country by some. Um, he's really struggled to make that that leap from Juco to D1, and I'm not surprised Like watching his, his uh, Juco tape from last year. Um, like I wasn't quite sure how we'd fit in at this level and on this team. Um, you, you go like just you look back at some of the role players like a Kobe Webster, a Latman, guys like that. Um, they just weren't good enough to be what you needed them to be at this level. Um, so just kind of throughout, they haven't been able to. I think uh, the reason Hoiberg is where he is right now, he made a mistake with the Matt Abdelmasi situation and trusting him to come here and replicate what they did at Iowa state. I think a lot of the, a lot of the best guys that they landed don't fit the way that Hoiberg wanted to play. And a lot of the role players that they landed weren't good enough to fill their roles consistently, which made life even more difficult for the best players that didn't fit. And that's how you like all that comes together to produce four non-functioning offenses at this point, not to mention uh, sacrificing on the defensive end with a lot of those recruits because you were trying to 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 kind of look for the offensive ability. Um, th- this is the first year that they added some, like the physicality and hustle guys. Like there was one possession where Sam Griesel hit the ground twice on, on the same possession. He dove, like he, he's pushing the ball in transition, defender gets a hand in there. He dove and knocked it ahead to uh, a teammate um, and then, I don't know, got blocked or forced a bad pass or whatever. And then he dove again to try to save the ball back uh, to his team. Like, that guy's giving, every, giving you everything you got. You got a guy like Denim Dawson out there hustling. Juwan Gary's just going hard. Like, they're hustling. They're, they're, they're fighting harder, but the offensive talent just isn't there. And defensively, they're still, they're still not – I think they're better the personnel, but they're not equipped to be like a lockdown defense right now. They don't have any rim protection besides taking charges and they are lacking in perimeter quickness. Um, you've got a six, seven guy like Sam Griesel guarding um, like Posh Alexander or Andre Corbello because um, you, your Bandamel is your best on ball defender and he's a six, four shooting guard. You don't have anybody that can really guard quick point guards. And then C.J. Wilcher, you got to try to hide him somehow. Um, so I think the the recruiting has not gone as well. They've had some bad things, like had some bad luck with the COVID situation in year two uh, and how they were impacted by it. They've lost some games in some just like bizarre ways. Uh, that And so, in yeah, that bad luck. Not bizarre yeah, ways. Exactly. They're not bizarre anymore. It's Nebraska That's ways. true. That, that is very true. But you add all that together, that's how you go from uh, a bad record to the worst record that the coaches had at, at Nebraska. Um, so I, I think 
yes, you, you look at the recruiting class, you see some some highly regarded players in there. But if you look at the totality of the situation, they haven't recruited a full Big Ten c- competitive roster yet through four years. That's um, I mean, that's that that's ultimately on Fred. That yeah. ultimately falls on Fred, their inability to to get players in here and sort of um, help them reach potential is on Fred. Um, the inability to sort of find guys that fit what he wants to do is on Fred. You got a tweet. I'm going to quote a very smart basketball guy uh, last night watching the game. Effort only takes you so far. You need to execute as well. They haven't done that in any phase of the game this half. That's Jacob tweeting that, by the way. Um, and you're right. And that ultimately also falls back on Fred. Um, so they've got, you know, <laughs> like – you play in the Big Ten. There's there is no reprieve at at any point in your schedule. You got Arkansas, Pine Bluff, you got Queens uh, before the Christmas break. Everybody else is a top top 100 Ken Palm opponent. Six of your next nine are against Ken Palm top 100. A seventh game is Boston College, which is 105. Um, and is there like? Right. Yeah. Is <laughs> right. is there uh is is there any scenario where you you see this just going sideways and they have to do another in-season move or is this a situation where you think that they're just going to roll through the season and then reassess at the end of the year? Yeah, I I'd lean reassess at the end of the year just um because I I think uh, with a guy like Griso, with some of these guys, again, we haven't seen them with Derek Walker. Like he's your best or second best player on the team, uh, on a team already short of playmakers, difference makers. You're missing one of the guys that can can be that. Um, it's not like it's not like Walker's a Hunter Dickinson or somebody like that. That's going to completely change everything once he gets back. But for a team with such small margins, you need every little bit you can get. And so we'll see kind of what they look like once he gets back. Um, and again, a guy like Greasel, I think he, I, th- I think this was kind of a unique situation. Like I don't foresee an eight turnover game, a 4.8 turnover game from Greasel again. Um, and there aren't teams that are going to pressure quite like St. John's does like full, full court everywhere in the half court. You're out denying um, that, that, that was something they hadn't seen before and they were not ready for it. Um, they didn't have a solution. So I, I, I don't know that it's going to look like that the rest of the season, but I mean, you, you do have a chance to, to pile up some losses. I, I just don't know that that Trev Alberts has the urgency in basketball that he did in football to make that early in season move. Um, like I wouldn't, I mean, at this point you, you can never like, he gave Fred the same deal that he gave Frost and turned around and two game, three games in uh, went back on it because he felt like he had no choice. But especially with the coaching search ongoing still, uh, I think Trev probably has his attention elsewhere at this point. So I, I don't know that we're going to, like, in a week, like, oh, uh, fire fire Hoiberg and just elevate somebody else to, to play up. I, I'd... I'd lean towards him getting the full season to, to reevaluate. Um, 
but right. I mean, he's also only got one loss on that yeah. season, right? Like this is the first loss, yeah. and and we we opened talking about all the weird results. So like, you know, Nebraska turns around and beats Indiana or Purdue in a couple weeks. You know, like something you know suddenly things change a little bit. At the same time, on the same token though, like he made the move with Frost when he did because it was obvious that the same things were happening that were happening before that put him in the position that he was in. Do you get the sense that the same things are happening here with basketball? And the other piece of it is, did you, I don't know, maybe you didn't even like look, but did you get the sense that the, I guess the fan engagement or the fan, the attitude toward the program was like more of the same, more of the same. What are we going to do? Did you get that sense? Okay. So Answer the first question to start with. I, you listen to all the offseason talking points from Hoiberg and the way they built the roster. He, every change that Frost made, it seemed, was uh, kind of grudging. Like he didn't really want to do it. He felt like he had to. I don't know that he ever embraced any of it. Um, I don't think that has been the case with Hoiberg. I think Hoiberg has taken his marching orders from his boss and tried to execute them to the best of his ability. He's trying to go get a team that plays hard, that plays together, that is going to give the the fans everything they've got night in and night out. Like he's tried to go do that. And that's what he's been emphasizing. That's what the offseason was all about, developing that kind of play. Um, So I I think Fred, he he really wants to do what it, what he needs to, to keep this job, which I don't know that that was ever the case with, with Frost. So I think that's another difference there. Um, So we'll see. Is he, could is he able to execute that 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 uh, that um, I guess that plan kind of make that uh, that vision a reality uh, to to Albert's uh, satisfaction? Uh, early indications are maybe not, but he I think he put in a good faith effort and has at least made the changes that um, I think Bigelow kind of. We talked about this early in the season, one of our episodes. Bigelow dug up the the quote from. Alberts to the the World Herald about he what uh, what he wants to see in a basketball team, and you fast forward through all Hoiberg's summer and preseason press conferences, basically regurgitating all the points that that Alberts made in, in that quote. So um, on that, so it's not necessarily more of the same, um, except for their struggle, their offensive struggles. Um, so. Uh, on that point, I, I do think Hoiberg has tried to change. Um, we'll see if this was uh, a lot of things coming together or if this is just what it's going to be moving forward. Like you said, we'll, we'll get plenty more tests coming up here soon. Um, but uh, on the second point, I think the kind of the resiliency that they showed in the first two games, which you don't want to have to show resiliency against sub-300 teams, but uh, show – like. This is a team that did not start 2-0 at any point under Hoiberg's tenure until this year. They lost one of their first two games in each of the first three years. Um, they have not lost a bye game yet, which has not been the case the last three years. So at least the game they lost was on the road against another high major. Um, and a good but team. Yes. Uh, we'll see. Uh, St. John's, I think, a lot of Nebraska leading at halftime 27-20 was as much to do with St. John's as it did uh, Nebraska, I think their shot selection was awful in that half, but Nebraska also made some good defensive plays and played hard on that end. Um, so have to give them some credit, but 
Um, we'll, we'll see how good St. John's ends up being, but um, I think there were some fans that were buying into kind of the talking points, the, the grittiness. Uh, this is the team that's playing better together. This is a team that I, I saw a lot of comments about uh, had more fun watching this team than I did at any point last year, um, despite having uh, Bryce McGowan's and guys like that on the team. Um, so I think there was a little bit of like hesitant buy-in. Um, but I think last night, like I said, kind of uh, emphasized all the fears that the fans may have had about this team and where they're going to struggle. Uh, and now people are kind of falling, a lot of fall, are falling back to, well, more of the same. This, this is it. Like, waiting towards next year already. Um, so that, that it is kind of, it's the fan base is on, uh, I think it's kind of thin ice where any little thing um, can push them right back into that. Ah, now this, the season is hopeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that, that certainly pushed them in that direction uh, th- that game last night. But we'll see if they can find a way to get them back and to, to right the ship. Real quick, Nebraska women's basketball lost 77-51 to Creighton in Omaha. Um, I guess what was your main takeaway from from that game? This is, it, it seems like a better uh, program the women's team is than the men's team, at least at this point, further along. Um, I guess, what you know, do you agree with that? And what, what was your takeaway from the, the Creighton loss? Yeah, I think, I mean, that was number 20 versus number 22, sold-out arena, stage, stage was set for uh, a big-time showdown, and as fun a game as we've had in this series in a while. And Nebraska just didn't show up. Uh, Creighton went and tested themselves on the road at South Dakota State, who entered the season ranked, and at South Dakota, who made a deep postseason run last year. And those are both teams that Creighton has struggled with uh, in recent years. And they went to them, and they they took care of business, won both those games, um, and came back home. This was their first home game. So that's a team that went and tested themselves and showed that they were capable. Nebraska, on the other hand, played a couple of cupcakes and won very easily and didn't really have to work that hard for it. And so you come into this game, like you like the, the pieces, like the talent, but they just didn't look ready to play this game. They looked panicked all night. Creighton had a great game plan to take away their strengths, and Nebraska just never found a way to, to counter. They kept trying to force the same things and that, that weren't working, and they stuck with it instead of trying to find a different way to attack them or finding a way to beat the, the game plan that, that Creighton had for them. Um, so this was, I think this was a wake-up call for Nebraska, and... They had their best players did not play well, and um, they didn't really get much from the bench either. Like, they had a couple plays here or there. Um, but for the most part, they just – they had no answer for what Creighton was doing. And um, Creighton didn't even get a great game from their best players. It was Molly Mogensen and Carly Batchelor who combined for 37 points on 16 of 24 shooting, which that's like their – fourth, fifth option there. I mean, Bachelor wasn't even starting uh, this year until Rachel Saunders got hurt and missed a game. And Saunders is uh, a key piece for them. So Creighton, not only did they win by 26, they did it without one of their starters. So uh, I think this is a wake-up call for Nebraska. Uh, the talent is still there. Like, Lux Markowski is a, a very good player. Jazz Shelley isn't going to shoot four for 14 many games. 
Um, I think you'll get more out of Allison Widener as you continue. This was her first real test at this level. She looked really good in their first two games and I uh, still like her potential to be that second ball handler. And this was their first game where they really missed Sam Hybe. Um, because again, everything came easy to, to Widener in the first two games. She scored like 45 points in the two games and she hardly shot the ball in this one because um, Green did a good job of defending Nebraska's offense as a whole. Okay. Well, uh, we got a lot more games left. Um, a lot of season left. There are both programs are only three games into their season, so lots of games left. Um, Jacob Bedillo will have coverage at hailvarsity.com uh, for most of it, all on the men's side. And are you going to be able to do more stuff on the women's basketball side? Um, I probably won't do a ton of written. I'll try to make it to a few games here. There were here and there. Sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Drake Keeler's got that uh, got that beat handled for us. So definitely go follow him if you want more from them. You'll, you'll mostly just get thoughts and observations from me. And we'll we'll have Drake on periodically to on the Nebraska Shooter on our podcast to, to to make sure the women get uh, some attention that they deserve. But um, yeah, and. Go subscribe to that podcast as well if you want more Hoops Talk, including more of a breakdown of that Creighton-Nebraska game. We spent 30 minutes on that. Um, so you can that's you can still go listen to that. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I got. Jacob and Jacob, Padilla and Bigelow, the Nebraska shoot-around podcast, like you just said. Make sure that you are subscribed to all the Hale Varsity podcasts. Uh, Brandon Vogel has the IED preview show. Aaron Sorensen, Sasa Durkin have Mind Your Own. Um, Jacob, thanks for coming on. It's good to catch up. Thanks for having me. Hopefully uh, the next time we talk, uh, we'll have some better basketball to break down. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast. In the meantime, uh, like I said, keep reading HailVarsity.com. Uh, go to the website and subscribe using the promo code VARSITY. Make sure that you can read everything and anything that you want to read. So shouts to you guys uh, for listening to this episode every week. Shouts to Cam for producing this episode every week. And we'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. Hoda Media Production.